Leaving a Legacy is brought to you by hipstersofthecoast.com and can be found on the Top Deck app every Friday. You can support the show directly at patreon.com slash leavingalegacy. Magic is power. Welcome to another episode of Leaving a Legacy. My name is Patrick. I'm your Legacy newbie. With me this week, as always, Mr. Jerry Me. What's up, Jerry? What is up, Pat? I'm so glad they let you down, you know, untied you from the goalposts. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been a crazy couple of weeks. I'm sorry I missed last week. Um, it's been uh, nutty at work. We finally went back down to 40 hours a week this week, starting today. So that was really nice. Uh, just in time for me to deal with horrendous nerve pain in both my hands. So um, it's been a, it's been a good week, um, but I'm excited to talk about legacy tonight, man. Hell yeah. Especially because when this episode comes out, Pat, it will be on the eve of the leaving a legacy open. Yeah. Which is super exciting. Um, yeah. We, uh, we had been planning a legacy open uh, in, you know, I don't know. What was it like April of 2020? And that obviously never happened. So this is no, our, I think it was, was, was it March? No, uh, yeah, I think we were talking about picking a date around yeah. March because yeah. our, our last open was February of 2020, right before COVID yep. kind of started popping up in the news. Yep. So now we are now we are, you know, we are uh, riding the tail end of that and getting vaccinated and masking up when needed. And uh, we're ready to talk about legacy, man. I'm stoked. So why don't yeah. you introduce our guest who has done like. The most legwork, I mean, more than I've ever done for this podcast. I mean, really just like every time, every time we ask him on, he's like such a, an unbelievably prepared, knowledgeable co-host. Uh, I can't thank him enough. And why don't you just introduce our great guest, Jerry? Yeah, we have uh, the Targaryen himself. <laughs> Zach, welcome on. How you doing, man? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. You know, has, has anything happened for the past couple of years? I Anything important I missed? No, no, no. Are we nothing. good? Good. Nothing. We're good. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yes, uh, Zach Turgeon, good friend of the cast, uh, will be joining us in the booth on the Leaving a Legacy Open on Saturday. So if you can't make it to the tournament in person, make sure you t- tune in on Twitch. And mm-hmm. the three of us will be uh, uh, tagging each other out all day in the booth uh, doing commentary. Pat, uh, what's the, uh, the Twitch link? for people to twitch.tv slash leaving a legacy easy peasy baby easy peasy yeah uh and we figured uh you know for the night before the exam uh the uh the big tournament we wanted to do a breakdown of what the meta is going to look like and oh yeah Zach went above and beyond. He's looking out for all those people out there who are dusting off their legacy decks for the first time in 18 months. Mm-hmm. You know, if you haven't been to a paper legacy event since uh, 2019, Zach's got you covered. We got a rundown, not only of what the meta looks like right now, but also what these decks evolved out of uh, from about 18 months ago, what new cards they got and just a little bit, how some of the play styles have adapted uh, with the additions of these new cards and also Mm -hmm. in relation to the, to the evolving meta. Um, So do we want to just kind of dive right into it guys or anything else? Yeah, let's go for it. I think I'm good. 
Sweet. All right. Well, let's talk about the elephant in the room. I think right now, number one on everyone's hit list, uh, probably the quote unquote best deck of the format right now is most likely blue red uh, Delver, blue red tempo. Uh, basically, your days, force of will, wasteland, uh, Delver style decks. Uh, do you, or I don't, maybe I'm putting words in your guys' mouths, but would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's about accurate. I do think it's a lot closer up top than people are giving it credit for. Yes. And um, I think one of the big things to note of this is, like you said, it's a Delver style deck. It is not even necessarily a Delver deck anymore. Yeah, it's, it plays very differently than, um, you know, the Blue Red Delver of 2019. So let's mm-hmm. kind of r- run down that. You know, uh, I feel the 2019 uh, Delver list were pretty creature heavy you know yes it's packing its lightning bolts and dazes but it wins the game uh by connecting with just some beaters you know you got your tarmogoyfs uh you got your uh, young pyromancer of course you got your young pyre or uh, your true name nemesis and then dreadhorde arcanist for just the uh the engine that keeps the entire deck running D- dreadhorde arcanist is gone now though so right. what is what does that mean for the deck well, it's taken in a different direction. Uh, one of the biggest ways that you could beat the Delver decks before was you could just stop them from ever getting reoccurring sources of damage. Mm-hmm. So they can't kill you with four lightning bolts, but they can kill you with three Delver hits, two lightning bolts, maybe a flashback lightning bolt, and stuff like that, and just chip shot you. So one of the ways to beat them before was by clearing everything out. That's a lot harder now because their threat suite is significantly cheaper and more aggressive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, before you would need a single Delver to go a long way, but now they have Dragon's Rage Channeler, Murktide Regent, Ragavan on top of already having Delver, and any of those can win any game they stick in, just on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, I have noticed that playing against the deck that um, it's just it's just a threat that dense deck these days. Um, especially the Murktide regions. Those things kill me. Those things are hard to kill. Yeah, they are big. They get big, so you know it's really hard to lightning bolt them. Mm-hmm. Also, because they're a Delve creature, you can't abrupt decay them or fatal push them or anything like that. Yeah. Um, basically, it's like if you're not running white for swords to plowshares or you happen to be packing some red elemental blasts, you're going to have a hard time dealing with those Murktides. <laughs> Yeah, we've actually seen some decks have uh, weirdly copies of Dead Gone in their sideboard. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. As like where it used to be a braids and things like that. There's still right. some braids floating around, but they function as your like extra cheap removal, but also three mana, you know, pick up your Murktide region. It's much harder to cast the second and third time around. This is true. Yeah, uh, I actually noticed that because I've been playing the Crashing Footfalls deck on Magic Online lately um, that runs, uh, it's it's like the Shardless Agents and the, um, uh, what's the other one? The green, the green red one. Violent Outburst. Violent Outburst, thank you, yes. Uh, To just get a bunch of Crashing Footfalls, make Rhinos. And the only way that deck uh, can beat Blue Red uh, Delver is uh, with those dead guns. And it packs a full four of them just for, for the Blue Red Delver matchup yeah yeah so overall blue red delver is now like the boogeyman in the room and it kind of wasn't the end of 2019 it was among the more popular things uh and like you noticed it did lose dreadhorde arcanist but other than that it basically got better at every single point of the curve mm-hmm. whereas before it really only had one good one drop now it's one drops are so flooded that it sometimes doesn't run uh delver of secrets or at least a full set Whereas before it used to have to run preordain 
as like its last cantrip. Now it has these expressive iterations. Yeah. Uh, and that's a new card coming in if you're not, you know, not looking around since 2019. And while it is more expensive, it, it in these decks really functions like a two mana divination where it not only gives them a reasonable amount of selection, it lets them keep up on cards. So you can't grind them out like you could before. And then they have Unholy Heat now as well, which is a huge deal. People are uh, in Modern and in Legacy are really know the card is important, but undervalue how good it is for Red to be able to deal six to something for one mana. Yeah, it's huge. Mostly, I also want to say is uh, I've seen a lot of Merktides die to Unholy Heats. Right, exactly. And that is something that Red kind of never had access to before. A one-mana spell to kill giant threats and is also good early is not been a aspect of Red in Eternal formats. Yep. I do just want to point out, though, Grizzlebrand is still seven. Grizzlebrand is still seven. <laughs> yeah, there are certainly some things that definitely get out of its way, but, you know, Grizzlebrand still gets dazed. You know, so they have other answers for those type of things. They just need to proportion their uh, things out equally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, And then uh, I also I the more I see it played, the more I like Dragon's Rage Channeler. That thing gets some value. It really does. It really does. I've gotten to play with it uh, exactly one time, and it was like, it was way better than I thought it would be. When we did the preview, we were like, oh, this is kind of a neat card. Like, maybe it has a place somewhere, but it seems like a lot of work. And like, just playing with it, I'm like, oh, this is like really pretty cool. Right. You don't, most people, when they first look at the card, go, yeah, this card is good. Yeah. What they do not realize is that that card essentially says scry three to four on it. Right. Because it is so easy to cast spells after it. And it is so easy to get it going and bashing in the air. And it makes sure that you never have those issues where you hit that pocket of three lands in a row mm-hmm. and you just don't get out of it. No, nope, it just put it in the graveyard, put it in the graveyard, put it in the graveyard, find your counter spell, keep it alive. It's super good for like the protect the queen style games. Mm-hmm. Also, surveil. It's it's not easy to express just how much better surveil is than scry. Being right. able to dump it into your graveyard is huge. Like I've seen a dragon rage channeler come out and then chaining some brainstorms and ponders into it, and then you know before you know it, your opponent is playing murktide into murktide, and you just have twenty power in the air staring at you. Right. Um, it's not unreasonable to have be looking at turn three and be facing down ten power. And realizing that they also have two counter spells. Yeah. There's just nothing you can do. <laughs> yeah, they have 10 power with force of will backup. <laughs> yeah. It uh it is uh tough to deal with for sure. Uh so let's talk about how do we beat it? You know, how do we beat the new blue-red uh version of the deck or of the you know the current iteration, I should say. Um, the same way you always beat Delver, and frankly, no one's figured that out. Uh, that's kind (laughs) of a joke in the sense that any deck can individually beat Delver if you try, Mm -hmm. but it is a very adaptable shell. And as it gets more and more efficient, it makes better use of its free tools. And by that, I mean that days gets better and force of will gets better. The more you are able to, the more you get out of the mana you do spend. So every time you force of will and every time that you daze, you're essentially taking your opponent's turns away from them. And if you spend your turns better than before, you end up in an even better place. And now with cards like, you know, Ragavan, Dragon Rage Channeler, you are able to spend your turns better than you were before when you were trying to cast like Bedlam Reveler or three mana threats. So to beat Delver, 
you need to be either incredibly efficient enough to match them, or you need to go way over the top of them. Mm-hmm. Or strangely enough, Delver has always had an issue with someone who's able to present a threat every turn or present a constant stream of things because mm-hmm. it relies on their answers beating your threats and then just outlasting you. It sounds yep. strange because the Delver has like this protect the queen mentality and everything, mm-hmm. but like death and taxes has always been good for that reason. Cause all their cards are just kind of stuff and you just go yeah. stuff, 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 stuff. And it doesn't super matter when your stuff gets dazed or forced or lightning bolted. Cause you just keep going with more stuff. Yeah. So there's a couple ways for each individual deck to beat it, but there's no surefire strategy. That's like, Oh, this beats Delver. It's kind of interesting too, like so, like uh, kind of comparing it back to like 2019, like Delver, like the the big card used to be obviously Delver of Secrets. Then it had like a bunch of other creatures that were like good but not great. But now it seems like the creature suite has just gotten pretty powerful overall. So I think that's one of the reasons why that deck has kind of risen to the top, uh, be the cream of the crop, so to speak. Like before, like you know, in like the prowess build, you had like your Swift Spears and like you know, and, and then you're playing like. Bedlam Reveler a couple of years ago. Obviously, Arcanist was a powerhouse. That's the reason why I got why I got you know banned. And even but even like Young Pyromancer can sometimes be underwhelming because it needs a lot of help, you know. But some of these right. cards, like we said, Merc Tide and Dragons, you know, uh, Dragons Race Channeler and Ragavan are all like, like I said, when I cast them, I was pretty impressed with all of them, uh, you know, in their yep. in their own way. So uh, it just seems like the quality of creatures in Blue Red Elver has just gone up significantly. In, in my significantly, yeah. significantly. I don't even think that's your opinion. I think that's just across the board. Everyone acknowledges that the threats it has now are all capable of winning games where things like a young pyromancer, you know, maybe it came down, it was a 2-1, it got you a 1-1 before it died. Mm-hmm. That wasn't good enough a lot of games. Uh, these new threats are. In, These new it, threats are both resilient and they allow you to find the cards you need or they're like Ragavan and produce a sizable advantage the longer they stay in play. Yeah. I, I view Blue Red as basically the alarm clock of the format. Like they are going to win in X number of turns and you need to either win before that or find a way to lock them out of it within yeah. that window. Because if you miss that window, you're done. Yeah, their deck does not not fail. Yeah. And uh, I think there's one more card I put on this list that you failed to mention, a Court of Cunning. I think you may have had Mm -hmm. a discussion over that at some point. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I have seen it. It's been popping up in a couple sideboards, which is where I said it was. It is not the uh, the four of main deck. (laughs) I believe a three of in the sideboard won uh, the Legacy Challenge this weekend. Yep. So, yeah, Yeah, it's it's, it's been popping up in sideboards. It's something so, to keep track of if you're playing a slow deck that if you board and you make your plan to kill all of their threats and they drop this court, you're just never winning the game unless you can answer it. Yeah, because uh, so to point that out, um, well, one way people have been attacking Blue Red is Blue Red is actually a very graveyard focused deck these days. Um, you right. know, it has got flirted with the graveyard in the past with Tarmogoyfs and um hooting mandrills uh right rug used to have a secret thing where it didn't look like it was using its graveyard but it secretly was the whole time Mm -hmm. right and now even more with the reliance on delirium with uh dragon's rage channeler and then murktide regent being cast out of it um it's even more heavily reliant on the graveyard uh in this iteration and as such people have started attacking the graveyard um, but a lot of people are attacking it in kind of one-shot style stuff, uh, like Relic of Progenitus, Surgical Extraction, 
um, I'm blanking on the name, but the one that uh, everyone finds with Urza Saga, the one, the one main artifact. Soul, uh, Soul Guide Lantern? Yes, yeah, Soul Guide Lantern. Um, these like one shot uh, uh, graveyard hate or ones like in Soul Guide Lantern that kind of chip away at it slowly over time. Court of Cunning is just a way that, hey, even if you re- remove my graveyard in one shot or you try and chip away at it with like surgical extractions or or, uh, uh, or the soul, um, it's it's not going to work because Court of Cunning is going to just continuously fill my graveyard. Like, well, it just continuously kills the opponent a lot of times. Again, if you're playing a deck that's super slow or a combo deck, per se, though they don't really board these in against combo decks, it, it's, it will just win the game. They become the monarch, they get extra cards, and yep. if you can't get through their wall of unholy heats and lightning bolts and blockers, suddenly you're milling 10 a turn and they're drawing a card. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the clock's right there. Yeah. Um, I will say, actually, uh, a certain someone, I don't want to say who to uh, spoil their their deck decision to, uh, for the tournament, but a certain someone uh, well-known in the community asked to borrow Court of Cunning's form from me uh, for the tournament. So definitely something I'm going to be keeping an eye on at the Open. Yeah, I think it's a good call. Uh, let's move on to the next deck in our list. And I feel this deck was probably right up there as one of the best decks in the format, uh, before kind of quarantine came down and that's death Mm. and taxes. Um, you know, for a long time, death and taxes was kind of a joke deck in the format. And then it really put up results and really got respect. And now death and taxes kind of feels like it, it shuffles back and forth between, you know, tier one and tier two, but usually doesn't fall below like maybe 2.5 uh, um, death and taxes has been real good as of late yeah if you've been paying attention to the results it has actually been winning or coming in top two in almost everything it has been a i guess i'm gonna say air quotes unique take on the list in that it looks very different than it did two years ago yeah. but it's a uh, very strong Let's talk about that because I actually had this this exact conversation. I met with some friends uh, two nights ago to play some Paper Legacy, and one of my friends just turns to me and just goes, uh, "You know, Jerry, death and taxes. Why eighty cards? Like, why are they doing it?" <laughs> and, and I I sat there for a moment. Yeah, like why? Like perspectively, why? Not? My my thinking of of why it happened is. Death and Taxes is a deck that Wizards loves to design cards for. Like literally almost every set for two solid years had one or two Death and Taxes cards printed in it. And there are so many choices and so many good stuff that Death and Taxes actually can just get away with running an 80 card deck and Mm -hmm. still being pretty much the same deck because there's so much redundancy in the cards that have been printed. And now that you have Yorian that actually encourages you to run 80 cards, like you can do it and also get the chance to play a bunch of sweet cards that maybe you wouldn't normally play in a, in a traditional 60 card list. Right. So uh, I will say three things about why they are 80 cards uh, or why they can be 80 cards. I should say the first is that their deck is full of tutors, yep. whether that be tutoring for creatures with recruiter or tutoring for artifacts or sorry, equipment with Stoneforge mystic. So they get, to have the access to the cards they want without having to be 60 cards and having to draw them. And in the inverse of that, it means that you draw those tutor targets less. Mm -hmm. A card like Batterskull, you don't ever draw it. Well, not ever, but you have less of a chance of drawing it against Storm where you wouldn't have wanted it. Things like that. 
also it just feels bad in, when you're you're running a deck that doesn't have brainstorms you don't have a way to shuffle cards back into your library usually and so when you're playing a stoneforge mystic nothing's worse than like having stoneforge in your opening hand going planes or eighth or vial or something and then going turn two to draw a card then play your land and play stoneforge and find batter skull and then you draw batter skull off the top and you're like dang it <laughs> yeah <laughs> so and I will say this is the third like reason is because if you look at the uh, cards in Death and Taxes and the cards they've gotten this year, a lot of them have entered the battlefield triggers. So Yurian's ability to combo with them, specifically uh, their like one or two of Charming Prince and Flicker Wisp, allow this almost like uh, grind engine out of a mono white deck that is rather unique to not only the mono white deck, but to this format. You set up situations where your Flicker Wisp blinks your Yurian, your Yurian blinks your Flicker Wisp. Your Yurian uh, comes back, blinks the whole team. You repeat that over and over again. And each time, you know, if you have a Stoneforge Mystic out, you get an equipment. If you have a Skyclave Apparition out, you start picking off important targets. If you have a Solitude out, you're starting to just swords to plowshares, everything they have every turn. And you can just repeat this until your opponent runs out of stuff. Uh, not to mention, if you have a recruiter in play, <laughs> you're effectively drawing a card each turn. Right, like, and not only that, you get to go get cards with ETBs to do even more. Right, it just it's a deck it, it, uh, that just ends up snowballing, which is funny as the mono white deck. <laughs> it's just an avalanche of mono white creatures snowballing into your face. <laughs> right, which is actually like one of the reasons why this is so strong, because it mm -hmm. does stuff on turn one, and it does stuff on turn 20. And there's not too many decks that can say that. And it has a lot of tools in its belt. Uh, it has a lot of access to the tools in its belt. And frankly, the only thing I think it really misses by going to 80 cards is it lowers its density of um, Aether Vial. Yes, that is the one thing that we really haven't seen a multifunctional um, you know, a card come out that, you know, it's, uh, fills the same purpose is basically what I'm trying to say. Yeah, we don't have Aether Vial 5 through 8. Like, there's only Aether Vial. Yes. So, uh, but they've gotten new cards over the year. And for people who, again, are just picking up their deck, there's Yurian, which is the reason they go 80 cards. Uh, a big one is Solitude and uh, Skyclave Aberration. I'm going to kind of group these into one, which has made their deck have a ton of removal main deck. You were talking those before, you know, 2019. You're looking at four, five removal spells in Death and Taxes. Now you're looking at 12 almost every game right so even though they've gone up 80 cards their removal density is through the roof well even more than that too though because uh when you count uh recruiters you can find those yeah. uh skyclave and uh solitudes and you know it basically means if they want removal chances are they're going to get removal right and then last on the list was Kaldara complete the yes. new uh, mh2 equipment and Cannot. while oh I, I was just going to say well it's not the best all the time it is the best thing they have against uh, combo decks. It is the fastest clock they have. And, you know, anyone can tell you that it doesn't take too many turns of being hit for five to lose the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I want to say Cauldra Complete is probably one of the cards that I was most impressed with getting my hands on and playing with compared to Spoiler Season was because when it came out, we're like, ah, that's cool. Like maybe they'll run it in the sideboard against like control matchups and, you know, get up there. And then so he's like, no, this deserves a spot in the main deck. Like this is significantly better than batter skull in a number of situations. Right. 
Um, there have just been too many games that I've seen already where they got Calder complete and it won the, them the game. And if it had been batter skull, they would have lost, you know, being on the defensive with a grizzle brand and Emmercool in play is not fun, but I had to do it because of Calder complete. <laughs> yeah, no, that's an interesting aspect to that card that, you know, it's a lot of keywords and a lot of little things add up on that. And the fact that, again, they're an 80 card deck now, they don't need to draw that every game. It's uh, just a real nice tool to have in their belt. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, so let's move on to kind of an evolution. I want to say this one probably is the biggest power decrease since 2019. Not not neutered completely, still very competitive, but compared to its uh, its 2019 counterpart, uh, significantly lower power level, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually think that a lot of the power levels now spread out more equally. It didn't take as big of a hit, but it did lose some massive players. And we're talking about what was Bant Snoko. And uh, the Oko part of Snoko is uh, gone. <laughs> is no, no. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of the snow part is also gone because Arkham's Astrolabe also bit the dust. Yes. Two of the biggest bands, Arkham's Astrolabe and Oko, taking place in the same band announcement that got uh, Dreadhorde Arcanist from Blue Red Delver. Blue Red Delver, while Dreadhorde losing was was hurtful, it, it wasn't as big a hit as losing Oko, I really want to say, was uh, what this deck was, you know, using as a crutch for a very long time. Yeah. So for those who weren't around in 2019 or are trying to convert forward, Snoko was a deck that used Arkham's Astrolabe, uh, Narset, Teferi, Oko. It had a bunch of Planeswalkers and Oko would just glue the entire deck together. Mm -hmm. That and Astrolabe, it was a threat and answer uh, the ability to, you know, had your life total it was basically a swiss army knife but it was an eight out of ten in every area so now they lost that and how did they make up for it um so they've kept the same almost like blue white control shell that is you know carried on from miracles and now they've kept the green but they've gone a different direction they're using uro to pad out their late game uh abundant harvest as a, like an extra cantrip and endurance as just a really well-positioned creature. And I think that is one of the more surprising cards to everyone of how much of an effect it's had on both modern and legacy in that, you know, it's a flash three, four that you can evoke early if you absolutely need it to. And it functions as like one shot graveyard hate, like you were talking about earlier, but just flash three, four, one shot graveyard hate, everything it does lines up perfectly in a format where people are casting three threes that have to attack and three, two flyers and things like that. And then now recently they picked up dress down, uh, which is a really cool card out of MH two where it, uh, for one to blue, it enters play, you draw a card and it acts as humility for that turn, or sorry, it acts as humility, except they keep the power and toughness. So it just blanks everyone's text boxes. Yeah. And, that's the one I, I wonder about the most because I've actually seen people use it. Um, they've, I've seen a couple uh, uh, Phyrexian Dreadnoughts sneak into a Bant Miracles <laughs> list here and there with dread, Dressed Down. I'm just like, oh, that's interesting. But a uh, big one, too, is uh, Dressed Down works great with Uro. Yes. So Dressed Down surprisingly works great with, I don't know, 80% of cards 
which is very strange. Right. It kind of does. <laughs> yeah. But um, it was, I, it reminds me of when I started playing like Torpor Orb and I was just like, wow. Oh, I get random advantage here. Oh, I get random advantage here. Look at yeah. all this random advantages that I'm getting because I run this. <laughs> so the smallest thing I've seen out of this Band Miracles deck is someone cast a, um, uh, what's the Baleful Strix against them. And they cast Baleful Strix, and they just went, eh, I'll just cycle Dress down. So they drew a card, Baleful Strix entered play, and didn't draw a card. Right. And you're like, well, that didn't do anything. And you're like, no, that just, they drew a card, the opponent didn't draw a card. Mm-hmm. And it had very little impact being in their deck. And you're like, ah, that maybe isn't good enough. Well, what happens if it hits a Stoneforge Mystic that needed to get the right thing? What happens if it knocks their Dragon's Rage Channeler into being a 1-1 after it's already attacked? And attacks into a blocker. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if, you know, again, half the death and taxes has um, different uh, like ETB triggers that it blanks out. Yeah, we it's, were just we were just saying like half of death and taxes now is ETB. All of those get affected by dress down. Right. And then you can combo it with your own endurance or sorry, not your own endurance, your own Uro if you want, where if you happen to have you know, a lot of cards in your hand, but not a ton in your graveyard. You can cast dress down, draw a card, and then just cast Uro. It, yeah. it won't go away. And then the next turn, it won't remember that it didn't get escaped. It will just stay there forever. So it is a tool that has been incredibly good at like picking off little interactions here and there. And the fact that it says draw a card on it means it is incredibly low cost to do and to have in your deck. Uh, worth noting, I've had a couple friends die to this last week, and I happen to know the ruling. Do, do not try to dress down a Magus of the Moon. It does not work. <laughs> it does not work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, it does temporarily. <laughs> no. No, it doesn't. Wait, no? No, it, so the way layers work, it, it's it's not... Wait, it's not even that it's it's just for that turn. It's that it, it just doesn't work It just all. doesn't work at all. It, mm. uh, Magus makes them into mountains before Dress Down removes its text. So they so the, the mount, they remain mountains regardless? Yes. It was, it was the same thing with Humility. Even if where, you do it in response to the Magus? Yep. So Dress Down comes <laughs> into play. Magus says, gotcha, turns them all into mountains and then loses and, all abilities? Yep, correct. Welcome what? to Lairs. <laughs> <laughs> I believe one applies in Lair 4 and the other applies in Lair 6A or something like that. Oh, imagine it's too complicated, guys. We need to dumb it down. <laughs> oh, uh, man. Uh, but generally, it dress down tends to work pretty favorably. And again, if you're in a situation where it doesn't work, well, at the end of your turn, it's a one in a blue draw card. And uh, plenty of people have, you know, cycled the first uh, accumulated knowledge or something like that and not felt bad about it. Yeah, it's totally fine, especially at instant speed. Yeah, it's just very powerful. Awesome. Pretty sweet, though. Now this really makes me want to break out my Torp Orbs again. It's a fun (laughs) card. I I have my one on my sideboard to get with my card. And you'd be amazed half the time you get that and people are like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, up next, uh, interesting uh, classification, but uh, we we're basically going, you know, 2019, your four color control decks to 
Yeah, the deck just kind of doesn't really do anything anymore. Oh, deck's dead. <laughs> nothing. I've, I've written down on the sheet here. Nothing. I but don't I, feel I don't like I don't even because it's not nothing now because was it really something before? Like, yeah. Before it was just like, here's just the best cards and we don't care about mana costs. Right. Just, and that's, it's just best stuff dot deck. And now it's like, we don't want you to just be able to do best stuff dot deck anymore. So we're ch- fundamentally changing the game so that you can't do it. So if you look at those lists and those lists have existed forever, whether they were in check pile or something like that, that style deck is not around in legacy at the moment. And one of the reasons for that is because of the three cards on Holy Heat, Prismatic Ending and Murktide Regent. And those cards in particular really step on what Black brought to uh, Eternal formats. In Unholy Heat and Prismatic Ending, there's a reason you don't see Fatal Push anymore. And it's because of those. And Murktide Regent is uh, stepping on what used to be the home of like Tarmogoyf and Gurmag Angler and Tombstalker and those type of cards. So the only thing that Black really brings to uh, Eternal uh, decks right now is discard. And a lot of that discard is being covered by an abundance of counter spells. So there's almost no reason to be Black outside of specific combo pieces. And yeah, it's not always that way, but right now it's just the cards that black brings to the table have an equivalency in another color that they didn't before. So where people used to splash for abrupt decay, now they don't need to because of prismatic ending where they used to splash for uh, fatal push. You can just play on holy heat in that deck instead. Mm-hmm. So this like pile of good stuff four color deck is now a two color deck because it's Tarmogoyf is blue and it's Fatal Push is red. Very good points. It just, we don't need it anymore. So long, partner. <laughs> right. And it's not to say that these cards are bad, because actually a lot of them are very good. It's just there isn't a draw to be black otherwise. So there's no reason for you to splash those cards like you used to. Yeah. And I'm fine with four color decks just kind of biting the dust with that. What I feel is the true, uh, you know, tragedy in this is uh, bug midrange. Bug midrange has always been one of my favorite, you know, type of decks to play. And like you said, Zach, there just isn't much reason to play it right now outside of unless you're, you know, doing a combo deck like Alluren that needs to. Right. So, yeah, like you said, if you take your exact like bug mid-range deck, you're already blue, so you already have counter spells. So you don't really need the discard. Mm. And then you look at green where you used to get your Tarmogoyf. Well, you have a, tar- uh, what's it called? A Murktide region. You're like, yep. well, I don't really need green anymore. And mm-hmm. suddenly you're black blue and you're like, well, why should I be black when I can have Unholy Heat and Ragavan? <laughs> and you mm-hmm. just end up narrowing down your focus very easily yeah right and you know this has happened before in magic's history it'll happen again i mean it comes and goes in waves um basically wizards just needs to print something to make it worth playing black again right yep uh, how many times has tarmogoyf gone from playable to unplayable to playable to the best card to unplayable things go and shift in waves and right now is not a good time for black right um so up next, we have kind of a variation, uh, a combination, I want to say, of probably the two best decks in the format right now of blue, red and death and taxes. And we get the uh, blue, white, red, Jeskai Stoneblade list that uh, 
they have they have put work in through Magic's history. I remember what was it, GP New Jersey in 2017, yep. 2018. Owen Turnwald's one GP jersey with Jeskai Stoneblade. I actually think it won back to back GPs. I don't I, remember that one in particular, but yes, yeah, Stoneblade has a very uh, long and storied history in yes. Magic and in Eternal Magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not good. It's not good. Not a fan. Nope. So uh, one, I've never been a fan, but I can at least admit that there's a personal bias. <laughs> <laughs> right now, right now, there's just a way of doing it that is better because what Jeskai Stoneblade always did before was it sat on top of Delver. It was Delver, but bigger. Yes. I remember that conversation during that GP prep time. It's just like, listen, you can't be blue red delver because everyone in the room is playing you but better don't be someone else but worse (laughs) right you so traditionally if someone is one level bigger than you they beat you because they are not fast enough or sorry they're not slow enough for you to take advantage of but they are just enough bigger and better that their cards overpower you and that's what stoneblade always did where it was like delver but its cards were a little bit more powerful and a little bit slower uh, the problem is that the whole like Stoneforge Mystic, Batterskull, GTA type thing that it used to back up with Planeswalkers can just be accomplished in the same way with the card Urza Saga. Yep. So Urza Saga, for anyone who doesn't know, it is a enchantment land. Uh, it is a saga. It, first turn just makes mana. Second turn, you can make a construct. Third turn, well, third turn, you can secretly make a construct and search out a uh, zero or one cost artifact from your deck, put it into play. So how this works is that the card itself, Urza Saga, essentially allows you to put a lot of pieces of cardboard into play for very little cost. One of those pieces of cardboard is Retrofitter Foundry. And as another, put a bunch of pieces of cardboard in play for very little cost. So just that card by itself is enough to try to overpower some decks that are just a little bit uh, smaller than you. And uh, I've listed Jeskai Standstill here as like the natural deck that now sits on top of Delver, where it doesn't have the, all the threats that Delver has, but it has all the counter spells and it has the removal. And instead of having all the threats, it has things like Urza's Saga and it has a bit better removal selection and a bit uh, more cantrips. And it just tries to win a longer game than Delver's capable of fighting. Yep. Um, I gotta say though, but I'm I'm a big fan of this list. I think this list is a is a very reasonable choice to bring uh, to the open because I think this is a deck that rewards good decisions. And yes. if you're a strong player, um, this is probably a deck that you would gravitate towards. Um, uh, I I have uh, a good friend. Also, I don't want to name names because I don't want to give away anyone's deck on them. But uh, a, a, a legacy player that I have respected for many years, I know, is uh, going to be bringing Just Guy Standstill to the tournament. And, and I, I think it is probably a great choice just because that one-two punch of Urza Saga plus Standstill, like that's just so much card advantage. It is difficult for a lot of decks to keep up with that. Right, I agree. I actually like Jeskai Stainstead where I didn't like Jeskai Stoneblade. I always felt Stoneblade had a lot of pieces that were picked on raw power and didn't have a ton of synergy with each other. But whereas yeah. Standstill has a ton of, like, its raw powerful cards have tons of synergy with each other. Like you mentioned, Urza Saga and Standstill. If you play a turn two Standstill and fight over it, your opponent has to break it. They will lose to the Urza Saga. 
Eventually, yes. you will draw an Urza Saga, play it, make a thing, and kill them. Right. So that's just one in a blue draw three cards. Yep. Probably the most card advantageous <laughs> card in Legacy right now. Right. Uh, uh, but yeah, I do agree with you. Uh, for for a long time, I've always felt that Jeskai Stoneblade was a deck that fought against itself because I think we even did an entire episode on this pad. I think we had like mm-hmm. Min on where we talked about a deck running Lightning Bolt and Swords to Plowshares. Yeah, that, that, well, I remember <laughs> when I first started playing Legacy, like, and I saw Stoneblade, I'm like, or or you know, this deck, I'm like, it it just seems so counterintuitive. I don't know, just counterintuitive to me, but like. Yeah, just like it's working against itself kind of thing. But it, but it does work sometimes, I guess, you know? Yeah, the card's power level was incredibly high, yeah. but now it hasn't sacrificed the power level because of these new cards and has cards that work together. So I think this is a good evolution over the past two years where we've taken a deck that was, you know, a bunch of A-pluses and hoping they work to a bunch of A's that do work. Excellent. Uh Moving on down the list, everyone's favorite 2020 merit lage. <laughs> what's what's going on with the the, the depths decks these days? Uh, so before we had dark depths, and now we have green white depths. We saw a little bit of green white depths before the pandemic, uh, but it kind of like wasn't quite refined and phased in and phased out. It was really for only like one or two SCGs. Now we have what the old deck was, which is like, you know, Hex Mage, Dark Confidant, Duresses, uh, Urborg, stuff like that. They've eliminated the black completely. You'll notice that a lot in mm-hmm. basically every deck uh, and have moved in this case towards white because now that white has um, prismatic ending, right. they no longer need uh, access to Abrupt Decay or Assassin's Trophy mm-hmm. to like have a general answer. Uh, and then because they've kind of removed like all the hand hate and stuff, they've added in our green sun package featuring uh, Knight of the Reliquary to have like um, kind of like elves or uh, actually like Maverick has mm-hmm. or had where it gets to get like Brahmanach Excavator. Uh, it has a Dryad Arbor to get. It has a bunch of little things. It's not a giant uh, package, but between Elvish uh, Reclaimer, I believe is the name mm-hmm. of the one drop. I always forget mm-hmm. the name of the one drop. Uh and Night of the Reliquary, you can just keep putting out uh, 2020s and, you know, find all your toolbox lands and find all your toolbox creatures. It's actually a really strong deck. And I think one of the other important things to come out of this is Yavamaya. Uh, yeah, Yavamaya Yav- has been huge. Yeah, Cradle of Growth. It's the green version of Urborg. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it allows that your colorless lands, like your stage and your depths to tap for green mana. Right. You know. So... You get better combo turns. I think I think that was kind of like what finally allowed the deck to totally transition because we already talked about how you know black doesn't really give you anything in the format right now, mm-hmm. um, except with uh, you know dark depths needed it uh, to make all of its deck function, and now just giving it Yamamaya, Yamavaya just gives it that excuse like we we just the last thing holding us to black is gone now. Like we have mm-hmm. an alternative that we can turn to, right. Uh, additionally, this deck also makes pretty good use of Urza Saga for those game plans where your opponent's all ready to beat up your 2020 and you're just like, no, I'm just going to make a 2-2 and then a 3-3 and I'm going to go get another Saga and make a 4-4 and a (laughs) 5-5. You just play that game where you just beat them up with smaller threats while they have to hold up mana to prepare for the big threat. Yeah, because I I noticed that when I first saw it, I'm like, yeah, it's lands and it's a powerful land, so I get why it's running it, but 
you're not running that many artifacts. Nope. <laughs> and then and then I saw it out and I'm like, oh, you don't need to because you just keep making more. <laughs> yeah, you just, you know, sometimes you get a Mox Diamond, you get a Shadow Spear. Um, yep. That's a one I forgot to list here that uh, the Urza Saga versions play. That's a kind of a new card. It technically was before the pandemic, but not by a lot. Where it's just a one mana artifact, give your creature plus one, plus one, lifelink, and trample. And it has a mode where it can remove Hexproof and Indestructible from things. But the important thing is you just make your constructs with Urza Saga and then go and get um, Shadow Spear with the last uh, trigger on Urza Saga. And suddenly you're looking at, you know, four and five power lifelink tramplers. And mm -hmm. that, that's a really powerful, hard thing to beat. And it's certainly hard to race. Yeah, for sure. Uh Let's move on. So let's stick with the land theme here. We got our good friend, just rug lands and kind of evolving a bit. Another land-based deck. So definitely expect some Urza Sagas to turn up. But uh, how do we feel the deck has kind of evolved in the last 18 months? Uh, well, 18 months, it's certainly, well, first off, it's not rug anymore because it was explicitly blue for Oko. Right. And right before pandemic happened it lost ren and six as well yep and that was kind of how the lands deck was built for a long time and really had a rough couple months going up into the pandemic it wasn't seeing a ton of play it was basically just a kind of a bad oko deck in the sense that there can be a bad oko deck mm -hmm. <laughs> I, you know the card was just very powerful but lands was not the best place for it however now it's actually found itself a pretty good home and again, I'm going to talk about Urza Saga, uh, Endurance, and Retrofitter Foundry as just three-wit cards that are, you know, generically powerful, all work well together, all go great in lands. Uh, but the lands card in particular that, you know, air quotes, saved it was Valakut Exploration. And what Valakut Exploration does is it has a landfall trigger to exile a card, and then you can cast that card. And if you don't cast that card at the end of your turn, it deals damage. So it provides them with this like uh, mid-game engine where they constantly are exiling cards and then casting them. And then whatever they don't cast is just a burn spell. Yep. So it is both their mid-game and their end game. They don't need to have a card like Molten Vortex anymore. For sure. Um, I've also uh, seen lands go back to uh, Punishing Fire as well, which is always yep. nice. And especially with all of these, you know, Ragavans and, uh, you know, pretty much all of the Death and Taxes deck, you know, uh, there's there's plenty of targets. It's a target-rich environment, as we like to call it. <laughs> right, and that is one of the strengths of the, like, red-green lands right now is it is incredibly hostile towards creatures. So if you get a creature matchup, you're back to feeling what old lands felt like, where you can just grind them into nothingness and then hit them to death with the 2020, or just grind them out and use Valakut Exploration to eventually deal 20 points of damage. True. Um, now, I haven't looked too close. Is the red-green lands, I'm assuming it's still also running Bajukabog main too, correct? Yeah, you still have, you know, all your tutorable lands, like your bog and your tabernacle and stuff like that. Yeah, so uh, bog also hitting the graveyards is super useful to have that main deck access to like, oh, opponent's getting close to be able to uh, cast some Merktides. No, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> Let's and get I've, rid of that. I've watched some particular, like, interactions and tricks specific with lands. Like, I watched someone attack a um, Darcy, a Dragon Rage Channeler, into a lands player. And Lance player 
crop rotated for bog, bogged them, and then made a one-one with retrofitter foundry and blocked it. Yeah. And they sat there and they were just like, "Yep, okay, I guess we're going to the next game because this is just going to keep happening." Yeah. The yeah. Land, that's what Lance does, yep. and the combination of Urza Saga and stuff like that, particularly with uh, Life from the Loam, you just do it forever. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. incredibly difficult to interact with them outside of their graveyard. Right. Um, let's get into some combo decks because we've also seen some combo decks uh, show up in Evolve. Um, hey, first off, we got Reanimator, but uh, Reanimator hasn't changed much. It just got some new toys, I, I want to say. Right. So Reanimator is actually probably worse than it was at the you know two years ago. Two years ago, worse contextually or. Uh, yes, okay. contextually. Okay. Uh, it did get new things. It didn't lose anything. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, in the newer builds, you actually just have the same cards. Just a couple of them are shaved here and there for some mm-hmm. different targets. Mm-hmm. But people are now playing main deck endurances. And like Jerry mentioned, there's a lot of like main deck one-shot graveyard hate floating around. Yeah, every deck running Urza Saga is most likely running main deck graveyard hate. And anytime main deck graveyard hate is being run, uh, Dredge and Reanimator do not have a good time. <laughs> right. So it's not a ton. So it's not like Reanimator is unplayable, but you do need to play around more things than you used to because, you know, before in game one, you'd be like, aha, here's my Gristle Brand, I win. And now if you go to do that, someone may go, well, in response, I'll endurance, mm-hmm. you know, evoke it. And suddenly you just tossed your whole hand for nothing. Same thing with if someone, you know, leads off on, here's my turn one Soul Guide Lantern, you're like, oh, well, this game one's going to be incredibly difficult where it would have been a free game for most reanimator before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has gained a couple new things in two new targets in Sarah's emissary and Archon of cruelty. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that for a second. Cause sure. Archon of cruelty to me, is like, yeah, that looks good. I could see why you would want it, but like that feels like the thousand other bomb chase draft rares that you see printed in every single magic set. Like why this one over the million other options that roughly do more or less the same thing where it's just a big fat fatty that does something when it comes into play. So it's important what it does when it comes into play. And that's specifically sacrificing a creature. Uh, So it's used here as a one of, so it's just a, like an entomb target. And you know, if your opponent has a giant thing, like let's say a Merit Lage or something like that in play, Archon of Cruelty takes care of it. Same thing with, you know, if it sticks on the battlefield, every single turn you attack, things get worse for your opponent, which isn't necessarily true with all these type of threats. Yeah, that is but true. It's specifically the, like that Cruel Edict uh, type effect that is a, this is the best version of it to reanimate. That is true also that you bring up that it's at whenever it attacks as well, because... Uh, unlike other combo decks, oftentimes players make you work for it with Reanimator, where Reanimator is the deck where you combo off and still lose the game a frightening amount of times <laughs> compared yeah. to other combo decks. <laughs> yeah, there's something to be said about, you know, uh, you put a, you know, 6-6 six, six flyer in play or whatever, and they go, well, I have two turns to draw swords to plowshares. They may never do it, but, you know, they're at least going to take the shot at it. Archon, if they find that swords on that last turn, well they're down a bunch of cards and they've lost a bunch of life and you're up a bunch of cards and they've sacked a bunch of things. So at least you're in a spot to go off again. Um, and then they've also gained grief, uh, which they've already had in like unmask though. Unmask is actually better for them. 
Yeah. Because unmask can target yourself. So unmask functions as a combo piece where grief is just kind of disruption to make sure the uh, way is clear. Mm -hmm. But it is worth noting that because grief goes to your graveyard, when you evoke it, you can reanimate grief. So all, all your extra reanimation spells become Thoughtseize. That, that really got me too, where I think I uh, thought sees my opponent and I saw their hands like grief and blah, 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 And I didn't even like put two and two together. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, they can't combo. So I'm like, oh, grab. I forget what I grabbed, but they end up just going like grief, reanimate grief and just back, turning it back on me, slapping me in the face with a, you know, a, a one for two. And I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, that is really good. I am losing this game now. Yeah. Suddenly you're just being beaten down by a four power menace creature and have yeah, your two answers. <laughs> like it's still just like it's still a four two that you're like oh do you have an answer for it no okay it's gonna beat your face in until i combo off again (laughs) yeah uh reanimator has got some new tools it's not as good just because of like the contextually like um pat said there's a bunch of uh very specific cards that happen to have some like cross eight to reanimator yeah so Definitely something to keep an eye on if the meta shifts away from uh, Urza Saga, then we could definitely see Reanimator pop up again. Uh, Now, this is interesting, Zach. You've classified uh, Storm as evolving into Doomsday. Not quite. Okay. So I I have a little blurb written under it, and it's not that it evolved into Doomsday. It's that Doomsday has taken Storm's place as the default, I cast a bunch of cards in a turn combo deck. Gotcha. Okay, I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah, that makes more sense. So this is actually a little weird, actually, in the sense that if you look at Storm lists two years ago to now, they've actually gained some new sideboard cards. Their main decks have changed up, but that's kind of the nature of how Storm decks work. But they've gained Galvanic Relay and Prismatic Ending as like some types of sideboard cards. Mm Doomsday's actually gained nothing in two years. But what it did gain was two years worth of time for people to figure it out. And we saw it come about at the beginning of um, the pandemic times, like 18 months ago, the doomsday started showing up and it just kept getting better and better and better as more people put more time into it. So while it hasn't gotten new cards, it's just a much more well-crafted deck than it was two years ago. True. And I feel that's always been Doomsday's uh, biggest hangup is Doomsday has always been a very difficult deck to play. Like right. that, that is what prevents more people from playing the deck. Uh, it's not as difficult now. Yes. Uh, because yeah. you have a bunch of cool little kills with Thassa's Oracle, but it just had a lot of people working on it all of a sudden. Yeah. I think it, it put up some results. Like right. it started putting up results. People are like, oh, maybe this isn't a meme deck. Maybe there actually is something here. Exactly. And you know, it started a snowball where uh, a bunch of people who used to play Storm or who picked it up and just went, oh, I love Doomsday, but it's never been good enough. And they started putting in time. And now when you look at the lists, they they look uh, well curated. They have correct lines to them where a lot of times Doomsday lists in the past would have these like, oh, I have these six cards so I can get this Doomsday kill. But eventually they realized, oh, you don't need these because this kill works in that same percentage of the time. Because that's always been a thing with Doomsday is what kill works through what hate. Right. So now they've just kind of narrowed it down and thinned it down to have the minimal number of kills. And because of that, it gets to play more interaction and more selection. Right, exactly. Uh, also, I want to say a real big strength for Doomsday uh, right now is it's a combo deck that doesn't need the graveyard to win. 
A lot right. of combo decks right now are very graveyard dependent, even the storm variants that are still kicking around. Yeah. And I'm not saying storm's bad. It's just that it has been replaced as the default. So where two years ago, you may look at your sideboard and be like, oh, I'm going to build my sideboard and have these couple cards for Storm. Now you're going to have to sit there and go, oh, I should probably have a couple cards for Doomsday and Storm. Mm -hmm. Right. Got to make sure you get that cross eight. Mm -hmm. Right. Torpor Orb again. Torpor Orb. Hell yeah. <laughs> I, I swear I'm going to log off tonight and I'm going to boot up Magic <laughs> Online and I'm adding four Torpor Orb, four Uro, four Phyrexian Dreadnought, and then just going from there. <laughs> I mean, I, I've 100% watched someone cast Thassa's Oracle and get dressed down. <laughs> they just were like, oh, well, that's the end. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, man. That's that's like one of my favorite my favorite magic memories of all time was my opponent ulting Jace and I stifled it. <laughs> it's just like yes, <laughs> no win for you, buddy. Go no home. win for you. <laughs> awesome. Up next, still combo, but also creatures. We got elves. Everyone's favorite, uh, you know, hybrid combo creature deck. Yep, and uh, I think Elves is actually in a much better place than it was two years ago. Uh, two years ago, it had to suffer with Oko around, turning its combo pieces into Elks, and it needed to beat uh, Snoko with constantly having answers for everything. Uh, so a lot of its, you know, air quotes, predators have disappeared, and it has gained some really powerful cards that only it has access to, uh, specifically Allosaurus Shepherd. I don't know uh, how much you've played against this, Jerry, but uh, that card is messed up. Yeah, Alzor's Rider is super freaking powerful and annoying. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a big reason why we don't really see any Chalice of the Voids anymore. Like, I can't remember the last time I've seen a Chalice of the Void in play unless I was playing against you. <laughs> I was about to say, I can. Uh, you but can. Alzor's Shepherd certainly uh, not against it because it makes your whole deck not able to be countered, which is good both against Chalice. It allows you to play through a Chalice, but it's just great against the blue decks as well, where if they don't have a removal spell for this, suddenly the cards like Daze and Force and things that they relied on stopping your combo turns just don't do anything. Yeah, it feels like you're playing against a million Aether Vials. <laughs> right. Uh, and then on top of that, it functions as a kill spell, or I shouldn't say a kill spell to creatures, a kill spell to opponents. Uh, because it has that ability that turns all your guys into dinosaurs and you just run them over. Yeah. I, I, I was just going to say, I actually think Gaius Cradle is pro or um, elves is better than its results are even telling us now. Like I think elves is a, is a, a very powerful deck and I think we would see much more results out of it if it was easier to get into the deck. Yes. Because right now, Gaia's Cradles are sitting at about $800. Yeah, Cradles are absurd. And availability on Allosaur Shepherds, which is like a four of, is really low because yes. it came out of Jumpstart. Exactly. So it's just a very difficult deck to get into. And it's also Gaia's Cradle and Allosaurus Rider go into exactly one magic deck. <laughs> like you said, right. um, you know, it's it, it's a tool available only to elves. And the, that's a great benefit. But the downside is if you're a legacy player, and you're looking to get into it, it is a lot of money up front that you then cannot pivot into other decks with when you want to try other things out. Like if you are an elves player in Legacy, you are an elves uh, player. Like that is what you play. <laughs> right. You're only, you know, obviously Legacy is incredibly expensive, but you're only like $1,000 away from turning 
Jeskai uh, standstill into Blue Red Delver. Literally a single cradle is eight hundred dollars. So <laughs> yeah. you can't pivot. You can't be like I'm going to turn my elves deck into something else. That's just not how it works. So I, I do agree with you that I think that the combination of that card being unique and expensive and the combination of Allosaurus Shepherd being incredibly hard to physically find copies of is very difficult for elves. Because I, I actually am a big believer in elves right now as well. Yeah. So uh, is life with the reserve list. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But they gained a couple other cards, uh, some sideboard cards and run a foul and prismatic ending. And they're the only deck that is, or not the only deck, but one of the few decks that has a copy of Grist because it fits into like the green sun zenith. Yeah. Package. Yeah. I saw that. It's, it's interesting. Uh, it's definitely very cool. Um, I played a lot of Grist actually. I, I was able to open it in like two drafts uh, of that set. And I actually really liked him when I was playing him in draft. Yeah, it's a surprisingly powerful card. Uh, just making a 1-1 every turn, you know, adds up in your grindy matchups. And then your ability, especially in a deck like this that just spits out a bunch of elves, to be like, okay, well, yeah, my opponent has an Archon of Cruelty or a Gristlebrand or something that is incredibly powerful. Well, I have a Grist, so it dies. Yeah. It's something that Green Sun Zenith packages haven't had before. Yeah, it's it's definitely a nice addition. So be on the lookout for elves, especially if you have an elves player in your uh, community. They are usually well known. <laughs> like everyone's like, oh yeah, that's that's Jimmy. He's the elves player. <laughs> yeah, it's it's certainly. It, you know what? The same thing is in 2019 is in 2021. It is not a deck you can just pick up. Right. You need to go and practice with that and make sure you know every single thing that you can do because good elves players are good, but great elves players are incredibly frustrating to play against. Yes, for sure. Uh, now let's talk about your baby red stompy. How you feeling? It's fine. It's not great at the moment. It's just fine. Um, as for 2019 to 2021, the big thing with the deck is that it kind of split into two decks in that uh, some people have taken this like incredibly aggro route running all the aggressive three drops like Rabble Master and Legion War Boss and like uh, Fire Flux Squad now. Uh, yeah, honestly reminding me of the like OG Dragon Stompy days is what right. it reminds me of. And that's exactly what it is. It's It's gone back to like the true traditional air quote Stompy where you play one thing and then you just try to kill your opponent before they can answer that one thing. Yep. Uh, and then the other side of the deck is you don't play the super aggressive cards and you lean into like Fury and Bone Crusher Giant and Karn and Chandra and you play a much more controlling mid-range game, which gives you much better board control, but you don't finish the game out nearly as quickly. Mm -hmm. But overall, I think the deck's fine right now. It's not fantastically placed. The fact that the Delver deck, which is normally the good matchup for this, is now a two-color deck makes it much harder. Yeah. Also, even though Astrolabe is gone, uh, which was probably like the worst time to be a Red Stompy player. <laughs> it was not great. <laughs> yeah. So definitely better than it was before, but still not great. There's still just a lot of basics hanging around. Yeah. So I will say that Fury has been incredibly useful. Uh, and that is the Pyrokinesis on a 3-3 double striker. And that card has just been incredibly powerful in combination with um, Bone Crusher Giant and Shatter Skull Smashing to have like a uh, a removal suite that the deck didn't quite have before. Yeah, definitely for sure. Up next, sticking with the red theme, we got goblins. Yep, 
So Goblins has got a couple new cards. Uh, the deck functions basically the same that it did before. I just wanted to point out that it's gained a tutorable naturalize in Masked Vandal, which mm-hmm. even though it's green, that's something that Goblins has wanted for a long time as enchantments have long been the bane of the Goblins deck. Yes, for sure. That's a huge upgrade. And it's gained Muxus, Goblin Grandy. <laughs> yeah, and- which when when was spoiled and was like, this card's awesome. And then it came out and it was like, this card kind of sucks. And now it's they've been playing. I was like, okay, this card might actually be awesome again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you see it mostly as like a two of. Uh, but again, a two of is kind of uh, disingenuous in Goblins because it has such heavy tutorable and um cards and card selection with like ring leader and stuff like that where it's going to see muxus when it wants to see muxus and it's just an incredibly powerful card uh muxus may be the strongest card in legacy in terms of casting its mana cost like Gr- gristle brand is stronger you know, emrakul is stronger but people aren't paying those costs a goblins player will tap six lands to cast muxus and it will win the game it is incredibly powerful it just puts so much power and toughness on the board and itself is just a very large beat stick, which is something that goblins hasn't always had. Right. Now, what is it though? Like the biggest problem with it, it, it costs six. Like goblins is not a deck that usually wants to get up to six lands in play before it wins the game. So it can uh, keep taking up its vial and play like it's control yeah. game if it wants to do that. And it's not too far off from like ringleaders, which used to cost four. So mm-hmm. one of the things that ends up happening in this deck is because of the card Rishadon Port, you play these really long games where you keep locking out your opponent and then using your Vile and tutoring this and doing that. And then one turn, you just don't activate Rishadon Port. Yeah. So instead of <laughs> tapping your land and your port, suddenly you're like, oh, I've been functioning at air quotes four mana, but I've secretly had six because it's just been depriving you. Yes, I have had that experience against me where I'm just like, cue the Ralph Wiggum, I'm in danger. Yeah. <laughs> You see it happening where they're just slowing down the game to a crawl and making sure that nothing's on the board. And you're like, yep, they have a Muxus and they're going to play it. And then they're going to put 40 power in play. And I'm going to go, yep. Does it have haste? Of course it does. I am dead. <laughs> yep, exactly. So good stuff. Uh, uh, Goblins was actually on the rise right before we went into to quarantine. We It was putting up a, a bunch of results and coming back. I think it's been suppressed a bit with all the blue red Delver around because I feel blue red Delver plays very well against Goblins, but yeah, def- definitely a sleeper. I want to say, yeah, it, it got some cards. It has, it, I feel like Goblins is kind of in the place that Doomsday was where it's not good enough right now mm-hmm. to have a bunch of people piling over it and iterating because even like if you're the best goblins player in the world there's what 10 of you i say this is the player who's that in a different archetype <laughs> yeah you only have so much mental thought going into the deck whereas a thousand people are going to find little things and correct things better so i think if more people were on goblins we'd see a more refined better list and i actually do think it is a pretty powerful um set of cards so I, I do agree with you that you know it's not something to be trifled with it's not something to be overlooked where if you face goblins you can't sit there you know mark off 2-0 on your slip or whatever that's not how it's going to go down yeah exactly awesome so uh another deck that uh i'm a big uh, cheerleader for uh specifically because i i went deep and i bought a bunch of them in in hopes that it would spike <laughs> we got a Good old boy Aluren. Aluren's been a, a deck in Legacy since Legacy existed. Yeah. You know, 
back when it was type 1.5, Allurin decks were a thing. So right. one of the and that's, oldest decks. And that's why I've kind of put it on this list because Allurin, while I don't believe it's the best deck, it had some massive swings in the past two years and some people are Allurin diehards. Yep. It's a deck that, like you said, some people have been playing Allurin for legitimately 10 to 15 years at this point. So you're going to run into it, even if it is really weird. Um, they used to be like this four color deck where you had like recruiters and like some combo of like parasitic Strix and cavern harpy and man of war and just this mishmash of terrible cards. Yep. Uh, now it has a and forgive me if I pronounce this. Aserarak. <laughs> Aserak, the arch lich. <laughs> no, there's an extra ER in there for some reason. Ace Rerack. <laughs> That's kind of like you're you're a frat bro and you're just drunk at the party, like, yo, Ace, re-rack me. Re-rack there me. we go. Ace Re Ace Rerack. <laughs> so let's go with Ace Rerack. Ace Rerack, the Arc Lich. Uh, and this is Legacy's. I can't believe I'm going to say this dungeon card hell yeah this is a card that uh when it was spoiled i'm like oh shit this could be the real deal and i bought up a bunch of alurins because i know alurin is a reserve list card that has done ridiculous things on the market over the past like i've seen alurin go from ten dollars to a hundred dollars back to ten dollars over like a six month period <laughs> yeah so for those people who are um gonna play against this what's going to happen is they're going to get an alert and play, which lets them play things at instant speed and free if it costs three or less. So they're going to play uh, this Arch Lich. And the text on that card says that you go into a dungeon. If you haven't completed the Tomb of Annihilation, you pick it back up. So it's kind of this like in real magic, like a value card where you slowly but surely make your way through your dungeons. And this card is you know, your payoff at the end of it, you get a five, five that when it attacks, you make a two, two, or they sack a thing. It, for, and it costs three. So it's actually like a pretty good card overall, but with Aluren, you just do it over and over and over. You just never go into the tomb. So it's an instant kill with the roads down the other dungeons. Yeah. I just picture uh, Acerac here uh, wearing the flash outfits. I'm going to have to get this alter now, now that I'm describing it, but I need an Acerac alter to look like the flash. Cause he's just pinging, <laughs> pinging through all the dungeons, like bing, 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 just hitting every single room, activating every single static effect and just over and over and over again, get just drawing you cards, making you creatures, dealing damage until you have all the stuff. <laughs> yeah. So it is essentially an instant speed kill because when you go through it, if you have more cards in your deck than your opponent has life, you can just drain them for one at a time. Uh, and then on top of that, even if you don't have enough cards, you can do some weird tricks with endurance and put cards back in your deck and so on and so forth. So it's 99% of the time an instant kill uh, and with a learn. And then with the additions of things like uh, Endurance and also Acerac just being a pretty decent body in itself, you'd end up having just an army of beaters that you can go to town with if the combo doesn't work. Right. And that's why I believe this deck got a lot stronger. Even if I don't think it's the best deck now, you have Endurance, Uro, Grist. And like because of the way that Living Wish works with Acerac, the fact that you can get them out of your sideboard, it also gives you a, like a toolbox engine there because you're now a Living Wish deck. So you kind of went from a deck that had legitimate, like, I don't play these cards and draft in them to a deck full of like high power mythic rares 
that also has a combo. Yep. So it's still kind of a little bit too slow and still a little bit too mid-rangey. It's not the best thing in the world, but a learn is not what it was before. It's a pretty powerful deck now. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's definitely kind of tuned tune the engine. It's got a nice little tune up. Yeah. Uh, so now let's talk about decks that haven't really changed at all. Yeah. <laughs> haven't done much. So I have three listed that are still good legacy decks. They still put up results. They're still in like the top 15 represented uh, decks from like all online tournaments and stuff. And that is Sneak and Show, Cloud Post, and Hogak. And all of these are basically in the form that they were before. Maybe you'll have a new card here and there, but they're essentially the same deck. And they're all still good decks. Yeah, usually it's like if it got a new card, it's probably a sideboard card. And maybe a one of at that. Yeah. I'm I'm talking if you took your 2019 Hogak deck and brought it to the Leaving Legacy thing on Saturday, no one would bat an eye because that's just what the Hogak deck looks like. Yep. For same sure. thing with Sneak and Show, same thing with Cloud Post. Yep. So no new improvements for these decks. Uh no like horrible things taken from them. They're kind of just steadfast for the past two years. Yeah. And I will got to say, I do have to say as a sneak and show player, it's been nice not having to buy any new cards for the last two years. My bank account has definitely been happy about that. Uh, I do feel for like the blue red Delver players who have basically had to shell out hundreds of dollars to keep their decks up to date. But uh, you know, it's, it just says the one downside is even if in reality, it's not true. There's a perception that these decks aren't quite as powerful as they used to be just because, well, look at that kid playing with his new toy. I don't have a new toy to play with. <laughs> right. There's always some of that grass is greener situation, but truthfully, if you look at the results, these decks still show up and they still play hard. Yep. Still, you know, totally respectable. I'm still, I'm going to be rocking sneak and show at the hundred K. So that is, that is my intention. Uh, I, I still feel it's a, it's a great deck to, to be sleeving up. Uh, let's talk about a little bit more spiciness. What about the new decks? What uh, what are what are our quarantine babies? Our quarantine babies of the legacy format. Uh, okay, so there are three decks that I've put uh, searched out that really have very little to no um, existence before quarantine. Uh, and I'm going to start with Madvine or uh, what's love lame. this deck. Yeah, the madness based. Uh, discard deck. I, I prefer eight walla. Give me sure eight walla. <laughs> eight, eight walla works too, and that is a a important aspect of this deck is that it got bra uh, blazing root walla to go with basking root walla. And while that doesn't seem super big, it's more redundancy, and more redundancy lets you get back those venge vines quicker. And for those who are new, obviously, or frankly who haven't been paying attention for two years, what this deck wants to do is it wants to discard his hand as many times as possible. It's an aggro deck that is going to try to discard its hand, and it does that through Faithless Looting, Lion's Eye Diamond, Burning Inquiry, uh, Ox of Agonis, uh, Anji's Ravager. Hmm. Just ways to pitch its whole hand in the yard and then play all the Madness cards it discards. And by doing that, you get to bring back your Vengevines, you get to play your Hollow Ones, you fuel future Ox of Agonises, and you just come out of the gates swinging. I don't think there's anyone who's like, there's a scarier non-Belcher turn one than someone just being like, yeah, Lion's Eye, crack it. 
I'm not sure if you've run into that where someone's lion's eye crack it. Okay, I'll put two root walls in play. Use the red mana I cracked it for to put an Angie's Ravenger in play. Uh, also, this triggers the Vengefy and that comes in. Oh yeah, I so I I played this deck a bunch online, and my favorite my favorite turns were like uh, play Lion's Eye Diamond, crack it. Put two root wallas and two venge vines into play. Uh, use the uh, the three red mana to flashback uh, faithless looting and just get a whole bunch of other stuff. And it's just like, oh, you know, you lost the game and you haven't even had a turn yet. Right. It, it comes out incredibly fast. And unlike other, you know, graveyard decks, this deck can play through graveyard hate by just casting things. Yes, that that's true. It doesn't have a ton of lands, but it is an option that is not available to decks like Dredge. Yeah, I was playing against someone and they played a rest in peace against me. I'm like, oh man, I probably lose this game, but I'll play it out. And then I was playing, I'm like, oh no, I actually just have this because uh, the Wallas have a pretty good Delver of Secrets impersonation. <laughs> right. Know, those things swing for three pretty goddamn often. Yeah, or something like you'd cast a Faithless Looting and then you look down and you're like, I'll pay one mana for a hollow one. You're just like, right. yeah, here's my one mana 4-4, four, four, let's go. Yep, let's do this. So while it looks like a uh, graveyard deck on the surface, still incredibly capable, even if the graveyard gets shut off. And that is really important in this meta, like we said, since everyone's running circumstantial graveyard hate. Right, right. You don't uh, necessarily fold to a single piece of hate. Yep. Uh, so going on to the other two decks, uh, I'm going to point out ninjas. Yeah, this was like just popping up right before right, right before COVID happened. Yep. So uh, the original Modern Horizons gave this deck a bulk of its cards and like a commander set gave it Retrofitter Foundry. But then, you know, the pandemic happened and, you know, I think it is I, what it is. It didn't get quite as much uh, love as it was starting to get. Didn't one of the ninjas come from a commander or special edition set or something like that? Uh, yes, one of them came from a commander set. Um, yeah, the the one that can be a commander. Oh yeah, believe, is it Yuka Hero, the Tiger's Claw, something like that? Yep, that's a pretty good. Uh, that's a pretty good clue. But that was from the commander yeah. set. <laughs> yeah, as commander ninjutsu is a pretty good clue. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what this deck does is it functions actually like well, 2019 Delver, where it puts down a threat, protects the threat with a bunch of uh, counter spells, and then. The ninja's kind of gimmick is that it makes really good use of evasive tokens and evasive creatures to then convert into a snowball of card advantage. I feel ninjas is why we are seeing all these other decks use retrofitter foundry. Like ninjas discovered retrofitter foundry, and then everyone else is like, oh, that's actually a pretty good idea. We should, especially now that we can tutor for it. Yeah, let's definitely play this card. Right. And that's exactly it is that now everyone else can tutor for it. Ninjas were just running four. Yeah, Ninjas was like, we're, we're foptering up, buds. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So the cards that it got over the pandemic, it didn't get a ton because some people aren't even like playing the Urza Saga. Apparently there's a debate as to whether it's better to go for like a longer game with Urza Saga or just um, be like incredibly aggressive. But you get Urza Saga and then Retrofitter where your Saga gives you like a another token outlet uh, another way to win through the game plan of like your opponent just stacks up 20 single target removal spells that doesn't beat Urza Saga and Retrofitter Foundry. So it kind of covers a weakness that the deck had where any one of these like small ball um, tempo decks 
you just had a hard time beating, you know, 20 copies of Lightning Bolt because they'll just kill it. And then you play a creature and they kill it. You play a creature and they kill it. And they never connect. They never get the job done. But when you have an Urza Saga and a Retrofitter Foundry, you can't play that game against them. You need to start presenting pressure back at them or you'll just lose. Yep, definitely. Uh, and then finally, out of the new decks, we have the Karn Echoes deck. Uh, technically, this only got Urza Saga during the time, but it is an incredibly powerful deck. I'm not sure how much you've played with or against this. Yeah, well, does the, you listed this as a new deck. I wouldn't necessarily call this a new deck because, like, we've seen a Karn, like, four-drop fatty Karn uh, deck in the meta for a while now. It's just kind of changed a lot over the past couple of years. Right. So when we first saw this type of deck, it would have Ursa in it, and it would have Emery in it, and it would kind of do this, like, blue artifacty grind you to death thing. Yeah. This is a storm deck that is disguised as playing artifacts. Mm-hmm. You play all of your basalt monoliths and all of your keys and all of your um, grim monoliths and every single thing like soul lands, just full sets of soul lands. It, it, it reminds me a lot of uh, the old mud decks, except yes. instead of pumping out a mere battle sphere, we're just comboing your face. Exactly. This does the thing that the old um mud decks wanted to do except it takes it to the next level where the old mud decks would be like okay here's a worm coil engine then here's a painter and then here's a and they would do all these like little things this is just nope i am a combo deck you put a bunch of mana in play and because of the card mystic forge uh you get to play colorless cards off the top of your deck so because you get to play colorless cards off the top of your deck, every time you hit something that, you know, nets you either neutral or positive mana, you just get to cast it. So Grim Monolith, Basalt Monolith, stuff like that. Uh, eventually, you try to set up to the point where you have a Basalt Monolith and a Mesmeric Orb in play. You can do that through, like, mes- uh, either Mystic Forge or Carning for one of the pieces. So now you have this engine where it's the uh, old Four Horsemen engine, mm-hmm. where you mill a card for zero mana essentially you untap and untap assault monolith this used to get you in trouble in four horsemen because you didn't have a definitive endpoint. this one does so you keep milling cards off the top of your deck you mill everything that isn't positive mana and then when you go through your whole deck by doing that you're going to put um echo of aeons into the graveyard now you cast Echo of Aeons and do it all again. And you repeat this and repeat this until you have enough mana to either cast a lethal walking ballista or get a Karn in play to go search your sideboard and cast either a um, a lock piece or a Aetherflux Reservoir if you've played enough and you just kill them that way. And it gained Urza Saga, and Urza Saga allows it to have a good backup plan because this deck before you would play the card Null Rod, and their deck literally could not win. <laughs> right, just nope, can't do shit. Yeah, uh, um, I do have to say though, big missed opportunity. I'm really sad that the Urza Saga players are not doing this. No upheaval. Come on, give me an upheaval, run upheaval in the deck and just cackle at your opponent as you scoop up your your board and then replay it and do it all again. (laughs) Uh, They they could. The problem is, again, that's the fun slot. And uh, 
the Karn Echoes deck ran out of its fun slots a long time ago. The reason this deck is the way it is is because people finally started cutting all the little cute things, and now they're just one card over and over again. Mana, 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 win condition. You know, they don't call the 61st slot the fun slot for nothing, Zach. <laughs> and you don't I, have 61 <laughs> cards in your deck for nothing. I would take the existing Urza Saga deck and I would add Upheaval as the 61st card. That is what I would do if I had a soul. You know what you have to do, Karn players. You know what you have to do. <laughs> so that's, at least from my end, that's kind of what's different between 2019 and 2021 essentially dragon rage channeler murktide regent ragavan unholy heat and then um endurance i would say oh and sorry and prismatic ending those are like the biggest impact players to the format yeah just across the board absolutely awesome and this breakdown you did is great uh do you want to are you keeping this for yourself or do you want to share it with uh people i don't know um, if, if people want to read it or whatever it's basically the stuff we discussed it just puts it in text form yeah i, I would totally post post this up on the uh the leaving a legacy facebook page and i'll let people take a look because i i really think a lot of people will enjoy this um you know and we'll get a lot out of it especially if you know this this uh leaving legacy open is your first uh legacy tournament in quite some time right um, so you know definitely a good tool for uh to you know shaking the rust off yeah and it's going to be really important because legacy has always been a format where you can kind of play what you want but if you do you need to know what's going on around you definitely you can take some disadvantage of not playing the best deck every time and you can take some disadvantage of not knowing exactly what's going on but if both happen you're gonna have a pretty bad day you're gonna have a bad time <laughs> yeah you, you have you pizza when you should have french fried <laughs> exactly awesome well thanks so much for uh joining us tonight zach i uh, can't wait to see you saturday uh for the open and we can do some casting uh pat had to leave early guys uh it was his bedtime and old man pat's bed was calling so uh he will be there on saturday we hope to see you all tuning into the twitch coverage uh if you can't be there in person should be an awesome event and i'm looking forward to it yeah, it's going to be real nice to have some high-level legacy being played. And we've had a lot of people come out for these events in the past. Frankly, I don't know how many people to expect for this. I'm sure you're slightly better uh, off than I am, but probably not by a lot because, you know, everything's different now. Uh, well, we got we have 40 people pre-registered already. So That's probably a pretty good number considering Magic players and <laughs> yeah. the fact that... I have known many people sign up for GPs at the GP the morning of. Oh, yes. And when they made that rules change, a lot of people were real sad to learn you couldn't register day of anymore. Yeah, that, <laughs> I was there for that rules change day. That was a hilarious line. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, I'm I'm hoping to break 100 people. I'll be I'll be happy if we break 100. Yeah, you know, we obviously don't want it too much just because, you know, Delta's Delta variant scary. Um, right. We're going to be taking all precautions, wearing masks, uh, you know, hand sanitizer, all that good stuff. Yeah. Yep. And um, masks are required inside gaming, etc. We should probably say that yes. now for anyone going. Yes, masks masks are required. Uh, so you know, keep everyone safe. Um, honestly, I I like sitting and playing. I actually forget about it. 
Like I, I don't really re- even remember having a mask once I'm in a game. I so agree. It, I think, I think the safety it adds uh, far outweighs the risks. So um, it is, or far outweighs the, you know, the potential risk you have of not wearing it is what exactly. I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, it's going to be an awesome time. Uh, hoping for a good turnout and really hoping to get some awesome decks on coverage and, you know, see some spice. Yeah, if uh, anyone is showing up with a unique deck or anything like that, feel free to find any one of us as we're walking around. They're always nice to see and you know maybe feature someone who's figured out something over these past two years that uh, no one else has. Especially if you're one of those uh, special someone whose star burns just a little too bright, a little too early, uh, you know, find us early <laughs> so we can get you on camera coverage. <laughs> yeah, it, it does tend to thin out to the decks that I've mentioned by rounds five and six so we'll, we'll get you on there one and two yeah exactly exactly uh but awesome i'll see everyone at the event and we'll see you guys all next week yep. 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 Yep.